Welcome to the Let's Eat Grandma Career Warrior Podcast. And welcome to the Let's Eat Grandma Career Warrior Podcast, where our goal is not only to help you land your dream job, but to help you live your best life. Today, we're going to talk about the main issue plaguing experienced professionals today. How do I instill many years of experience into a concise, power-packed resume that lands interviews? Not just interviews, but the ones that count. So today I brought on Virginia Franco. And if you're a job seeker, you probably have seen her posting meaningful content on LinkedIn. Virginia Franco is a multi-certified executive resume writer and LinkedIn writer. She's a coach and storyteller whose documents help clients to land interviews. She founded Virginia Franco Resumes years ago when recognizing that her years of corporate communications, journalism, and social work offered a unique understanding of how people read, communicate, and share information. She's also the co-founder of Job Search Journey, the first digital marketplace for the job search to provide job seekers access to high-quality, highly affordable job search tools from industry experts. She shared Job Search Insight as the host of the Resume Storyteller podcast and in various leading publications and podcasts. So as you can see, Virginia is going to be amazing. We're going to have a fun conversation, and this episode is going to help you out if you're struggling with cutting that resume down and updating it for today's job search. So let's launch right into it with episode 272 of the Career Warrior Podcast. All right, Virginia, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for the invite. It's a pleasure. Wow. I will say it's such an honor after following you and seeing all of your content on LinkedIn just throughout the years. And I just truly an honor to have you on this podcast. So I'm excited. We're going to talk resumes. We're going to talk job search and other things like that to help people just gain a little bit of clarity in regards to their resumes. So I'll lead off by asking. So you're a leading voice in the resume world. You've seen more resumes than I've drunk cans of sugar-free Red Bull. That's a <laughs> lot go. of Red Bull. So what's the main issue that your clients and even people you've seen online, these folks with a lot of experience, what types of things are they dealing with on the resume? Let's talk about the problem a little bit more. The two biggest things that I see them struggling with is that they don't know what to keep and what to get rid of. When it's your own blood, sweat, and tears, it can be really hard to let go of stuff that is important, but maybe not relevant to your specific job target. So that's number one. And then the second thing that people are sort of slowly catching on to, but still as an issue is that we forget that people are reading documents on all sorts of screens. You know, people still print resumes out, but usually that doesn't happen until later down the line. And first round reads happen on mobile and desktops and laptops. And how we read online is really differently than how we read and print. Yeah, that's a really good point. When we were having our conversation, I wasn't thinking about that. And I always tell job seekers in the past, at least, like just print it out to see how it looks on paper, because sometimes it translates different. But that was one thing that I hadn't thought as much about, which is how does it look on mobile? Because people yeah. are reading the resumes on mobile, correct? They are. And what I tell people is documents designed for a screen read usually do print out quite well. It's just that the reverse isn't true because what happens is if you have like a five or six line paragraph or bullets crammed together on printed document, if you try to read that on mobile, a five, six line paragraph turns into a 10 line paragraph. 
And yeah. then it starts to look like those terms and conditions that you see online it's that clunky. you always go, yeah, yeah. check, not reading. <laughs> and when something's hard to read and someone's in a rush, you run the risk that they might skip it. And we don't want that, right? You want to try to facilitate a, an, a skim read on any screen. Yeah, that makes so much sense. And so circling back to people with a lot of experience as well, mm-hmm. they, they, they're trying to cut it down. And it's so hard for them because they're yeah. attached to these experiences, perhaps emotionally. But what is the problem, though, if I want to show all of the things that I've done in history? And it's it's let's say it's really impressive. I have an impressive Mm -hmm. 15 years of experience. What's the problem with just presenting the resume as is? So I always say to, you know, it's a cliche, but this is not your blueprint. It's your brochure. And the analogy that I think might help to make it make sense is think about if you're looking for a vacation destination. When you go online and you look at hotel website, you're not looking at what are all the items on the room service menu and what do the sheets look like? You're not looking at that minutia. You're looking high level. Same sort of goes with your resume. And when people put in everything in the kitchen sink, you start to get into the minutia that will you'll lose the reader. This document is your entry point. And so it's not that you exclude glued things always completely is that you pick and choose what parts of that role are worth highlighting from the lens of what it is you're targeting. Yeah. So you start with what, what role am I looking at or looking to get and then reverse engineer from that. Yeah. Let's delve into that in a second. I think we should expand on the how of how to get that resume. But I just, mm-hmm. I get so many clients and just have spoken to so many people who were like, I don't know how to take all of this experience that I have and condense it because I recognize to some extent that I should be condensing my resume, but it's a problem that plagues the people who have done things and have accomplished things throughout the years. Yeah, right. And you don't want to make it eight point font all squished together with a big, you know, (laughs) it's too much. People won't read it. So, so let's dive into that. Let's talk about how we can start distilling our resume. And let's say just as an example, I'm someone with diverse experience. Mm-hmm. Many people consider themselves to be like a jack of all trades. I would consider myself to be a jack of all trades as a small Same. business owner. Yeah. <laughs> but the thing is, what if I have, say, worked on the set of Forrest Gump as an assistant director and I've also worked as a project manager for yeah. a Fortune 500 company? Like, how do I start thinking about my resume? So you start with what is the role that I'm targeting? So if you are targeting a role in finance, you being a listing all of the work that you did while you were a production assistant on Forrest Gump might not be relevant. What you do is you pick Mm. and choose the parts from that role that are relevant to that target. The other way that you can pare down what you are writing. So a lot of people focus on this is what the job entailed. These were the responsibilities. And then they also throw in their accomplishments And that's a lot of detail. It makes for a really busy resume. What I like to do is focus on the achievements. Ask yourself, what brought you to the role? What did you do? And what were the results? And then try to measure what things look like today against what they look like when you first got there. Those are your accomplishments. And when you lay that out, you end up with five or six bullets, really, that weave in the responsibilities within the context of the achievement. And people are much more excited about reading the results than what you did day in and day out. It makes them go, oh, well, that's what I need. And then you're dealing with a much, much less content that takes up less space. Yeah, I like that a lot. And another thing we talked about was getting clear on what you're going to do next. 
which is mm -hmm. something that's implied here. It's like, how do you possibly know what I need to focus on in the Forrest Gump, whatever experiences I've right, had in the past, right. if I don't know where I'm headed? What is sort of ironic, I feel like, is that when people are hiring, they think they want a specialist, but then when they bring you on, they're delighted that you're a generalist and maybe a jack of all trades. <laughs> right. Sometimes in entrepreneurial space, they will say, I want someone sure. who can wear multiple hats, but that's sure, not sure. the norm. I don't know if you know Don Graham. She wrote the book Career Switchers. She's awesome. And she has mm. always said, match first, stand out second. So you want to pick and choose the things that match with what they're looking for. Um, okay. First and foremost, that's the purpose of this document. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. One thing that I got asked in a webinar once is, okay, mm -hmm. Chris, you're telling me to write three different resumes, one for these different types of positions, but what yeah. do I do about my LinkedIn profile? I can only have one. I'm not going to come up with two different LinkedIn profiles. Yeah. That would be weird. But what do you recommend there? We only have one LinkedIn. So to me, you, you sort of have to choose where you want to lean in more. So, and so what I would do, so if you, let's say you're targeting sales or marketing role, they share a lot of commonality. If I say I'm leaning in on marketing, then I'm going to talk about my sales accomplishments, discussing how they supported marketing or how marketing helped to do it. So I'm writing my bullets with the lens of marketing as the main thing. So it doesn't mean you don't include it. It just means that you're changing the lens of it. But a lot of people on LinkedIn have one job and then they have a side hustle as well. And that's okay. But you have to decide which audience you want to focus on, huh? really attract. That's what you want to do. That doesn't mean that you can't approach your other audience through DMs and private messages and emails, but your public main facing thing needs to, I feel like, focus more on one audience than another. That makes a lot of sense. You have a really great presence on LinkedIn. And I know this episode is not about LinkedIn. I just want to take a quick two minute pit stop to see if you yeah. have any recommendations on LinkedIn for people and their profiles. Do you mean in terms of career switching or just in general? In general, like what tips do you have for people to, yeah, revamp their LinkedIn? So I jokingly, I say LinkedIn is like a, a needy, significant other in that they want you to pay a lot of attention to them. And all social media is like that. So you, <laughs> I feel like LinkedIn's algorithm sort of rewards you if you fill out as many sections as you can, if you connect and have lots of connections, if you engage with people's content and you create content. Those are sort of the four pillars that I think makes LinkedIn very happy. Not everyone wants to do all four, but at the very least start with having a complete profile. Don't leave sections blank because again, the algorithm will reward you. And you, what you want is for the algorithm to have you show up on search. And then you also want to use LinkedIn as a place to connect with people. It's a two-way street. You want people to find you and you want to use it to find others. So having a full profile, engaging in people's content, maybe creating your own, all those things will also do well when you reach out to someone, they're going to look at your profile and they're going to, it helps yeah. to sort of reinforce why you're someone that's worth talking to. Yeah, exactly. And I, I love that, you know, the question was about, you know, the profile, how do I build my profile, you know, fill it out because LinkedIn rewards that, but you also didn't leave it at that. You said you have to engage with people and you have to stay active. Otherwise that profile doesn't get the visibility that it could be getting. And you know what, I could build the best LinkedIn profiles, you can build the best LinkedIn profiles for your clients. But if they're not using it, or just being active, then the algorithm's not going to reward that and your profile would stay in darkness. That's right. The algorithm is a state secret. But it's what we do know is that it's multifaceted. And we know that those components help with your visibility. Awesome. So that's very helpful, Virginia. 
I'll ask, circling back to the resume, people mm-hmm. with a lot of experience, it's just, again, something that is tough to cut down on a resume and a LinkedIn yeah. profile. But let's say that I have you know, 10, 15, 20 years of experience. How do I start to think about what I need to remove from my resume if it's 15 years ago or mm-hmm. cut down? What is your technique when you're working with clients? So I work with a lot of people that aspire to or in executive roles. And so for those people, I say, I'm comfortable writing in detail about the last 15 years. If you are targeting more of a mid-level role, then a lot of people that I respect quite a great deal say, just focus on the last 10 years. But my audience mostly are 15 years plus. And so we're in 2022. I go, what is that, 2007-ish? Sometimes if a role is really meaty, I'm okay going to 2005-ish. Then with earlier roles, what I do is I will create an earlier experience section and I will pick and choose those roles that are, again, relevant to the story I'm trying to tell. Is it relevant to the job target? I will synopsize those roles and I will remove the dates from it for the human being to see. What that means is I'll put the dates in, but I'll like hide them in white font. That way, if someone applies online, the software can still pick it up, but the human eye doesn't need to see it. And what that does is it, number one, it makes you timeless on a resume because nobody needs to know if we're 35 or 85. But then also what happens to all of us, even when we're not discriminating against age, is when we see stuff that's much older than those years, we go into the rabbit hole. And what happens in the rabbit hole is we go, oh, I wonder if he knows Joe who went to school with, you know, Sarah. I wonder if he has kids. All this side nonsense enters our brains because we are very distracted readers. And when you just have 10 seconds to make an impression, I don't want three seconds spent in the rabbit hole. And so by synopsizing that earlier stuff, putting it under an earlier experience section, you're helping to tell the, you share the juicy stuff, but the rabbit hole gets eliminated. Other thing I make sure to do is if there's something that is referenced in that earlier section on page two, I'm very likely going to reference it on page one in the summary section or maybe with the career highlight section. LinkedIn is different. If something really is worth referencing that happened back when, because with LinkedIn, you have to keep on clicking if you're interested and you've sort of overcome the age discrimination factor and the rabbit hole yeah. doesn't happen on LinkedIn. So I don't mind including earlier stuff if it's super relevant and you have to include it with the dates on LinkedIn. Yeah, that makes sense. It's a different experience, right? And that's why I think we mm-hmm. can tell people like fill out that summary all you want because you know people aren't going to get sucked in it. If you did the same thing for your resume, your resume is going to be like three or four pages long. Right. So it's a different experience right. on LinkedIn. But going back to the resume, when you call Mm -hmm. out that earlier experience section, I really like that idea. And I think that's really smart because it calls attention to the things that you want to be called attention to on your resume. Right. And it builds that earlier experience section. But the early experience section isn't bogus. It's not some section that has no relevance to the position that you're applying to. And it takes a small section, a small amount of real estate. And sometimes what I'm trying to highlight is the person learned a role from the ground up. So just the titles are what's important to reference. And so I just will list the company in the title. 
and nothing about the job. Sometimes the companies are worth name dropping and so I'll reference it. So it depends on what I'm trying to convey as to what I include in that section, but I think it can be really powerful and I've had a lot of success with it. And it's, I feel like it's much less painful. You don't feel like you're really letting go of it. But if you scooped ice cream, I, I said this to you yesterday, if you scooped ice cream for Baskin Robbins in 1982 and you're targeting, you know, CFO role, it doesn't, that's not relevant. So you don't need to right. include it. <laughs> I have an employee that's worked so many jobs. And John, if you're listening to this podcast right now, that's you. We're all really impressed. But he's worked, I think, like he's done audio engineering. You know, he's done food and beverage. He's worked, I think, for like a fish cannery, something with boating. And it's so impressive. But I'm like, man, you really have to decide what you want to focus on in your career because you've done a lot. And sometimes there's nuggets that you can pull based on what you're targeting. Yeah. Sometimes not. And so you have to make that determination. <laughs> Right. I love that. Okay. And everyone's favorite question. I'm sure it's yours, Virginia, but how long should my resume be? That question I get all the time. How long should my resume be? I hate this answer, but in my mind, it really does depend. That being said, mm. my general rule of thumb, if you have about five years of experience or you've been in the sort of the same role for a really long time, nine times out of 10, I can keep it to a page. After that, I'm comfortable going to two. I've even gone to three, but I strive for two pages because I know that if I do go to three, I have done everything I can on the, to tighten up the wording, pick out the relevant content and make sure that what is on there is meeting. I've seen resumes that are four or five pages. I just know that you're balancing. The longer you get, the more you run the risk that that ADD reader will go, oh, too long. I can't read it again. If it's the third page, it's got to be super relevant in my mind. But these are the people who have had a lot of experience, correct? A lot of experience or sometimes like I've included, I call them memorandums where it'll be or addendums where I'll have an M&A sure. person where you want to list their deals or here are their articles or additional information that lends itself to the story. That makes sense. But it's usually people that have been working for a really, really, really long time. Yeah. I always find that the risk with, I believe the same thing you do about like, it's really as long as it needs to be, but don't try not to go over two pages, Nick, three pages every once in a while. But I always find it hard because I know people are putting so much of their attention on that first page. And if it's not going to be on that first page, more specifically at the top of that first page, then there's a good chance that people aren't going to read it because they're spending so little time in the very beginning on your resume. Yeah. It's almost like if I'm going to Google something, I'm probably not going to go to page two of Google. I'm probably going to focus on those. Page three. Right. That's a really, oh my gosh, that's such a good analogy. I'm borrowing that. Yeah. And so it's like the same thing with the resume, but it's not easy being a resume writer. So respect what you do. And especially with these three page resumes, I know the struggle. So job seekers, if you're listening to this right now, know that you probably should go on the shorter side, but it is okay to go above one page. Yeah. I think it's I hate the when people give blanket statements like it has to be, you know, a certain amount of pages, but it is what it's supposed to be. I saw a study and I don't remember where I saw, it, but it said that they asked a bunch of recruiters and hiring managers, what do you prefer? And like overwhelming, they were like one page, one page. But then when they went back and said, well, of the people you hired, how long were the resumes? Overwhelmingly, they were two pages. So what See? people say they want and what they use are two different things, which is so true because I'd rather look at a one pager than a two pager too. But that's crazy. There was a study about that and I'm so glad you found it. Yeah. But that's awesome. So Virginia, one thing you're passionate about is modernizing the job search or keeping your resume modern for the job search. What's one way mm -hmm. 
to make sure that my resume is modern. And I know you mentioned the phone thing. So if you can go into that a little bit more and any other tips you have for this. Not that many people are doing this anymore. I still see it slip in once in a while, but no need to put your full address. City, state, and zip are more than enough. You don't need to go old school print style one inch around. You can go a little wider. I'm okay going with a half inch all the way around. Pick a font that is easy to read and print and online. And I'm sure you do too. Use sans serif fonts and serifs are those little tails at the end of words, of letters, sorry. So Calibri, Arial... The ones where there's no little thing on the end of a T or an I. The tail, yeah. Yeah, thank you. Those are the ones that are easiest to read on any device of any size and in print. Mm. Keep your bullets and paragraphs to two to three lines. Add and then add space in between each and every bullet or paragraph that you write because white space makes the eye look at it and go, oh, okay, this is manageable to read. Um, Because you don't want the eye to go, oh, too hard, I'm going to skip it. The other thing that I think is really important with a modern resume is to recognize that because we're skim readers, and especially because we often read on devices, we jump around a lot. And so I will use some design elements like bolding and shading and the use of color to draw the reader where I want them to go. And then when I'm writing a sentence, put the most powerful part of whatever I'm trying to say at the beginning of the sentence, because there's a really good shot the reader won't get to the end. And that's a really big departure from how we were taught to write papers back when we were in high school. And those practices for writing, they don't apply just to resumes. They certainly apply to LinkedIn, but they apply to email, slide decks, anything. They are just common writing principles that work across mediums. And that makes sense. But one thing that I like to play devil's advocate for, and you may believe the same thing, you may not, but just some of these resumes I'm seeing that are modern and they look pretty, I feel like they call too much attention to design and they almost look too pretty. It's like, what are you trying to do? Are you trying to just design really well or are you trying to show why you're qualified for the job? But do you have any, I guess, insight on what is too design heavy? Yeah, I have thoughts. I concur with you. I've said this before, I never want to do design for design's sake, unless you're applying for a job as a designer, right? But the rest of us are not. And so to me, design needs to serve a purpose, which is to draw the reader where I want them to go. I have been known to use a chart or a graph in my resumes. I'll also include that information in the body of the text, but I know that it might be easier for the reader to digest it by seeing it in a graph. I have been known to pull a quote from a LinkedIn recommendation, but again, I know that. that, So when you apply online, applicant tracking software system can't read anything in a box or a text, which extends to graphs, charts, pull quotes, all of that. So any messaging that you try to depict graphically needs to also be in the body of your text. A lot of those really fancy templates, they, number one, they make you have to fill in stuff in a box, which means if you submitted it, some, not all, but some ATS can't read it properly. So you run that risk. And they also, because they've got so much design in there, they make you have to really skimp on content in my mind and content has to be king. A hundred percent. That makes a lot of sense. So you add flair, but it's not like it doesn't encompass the entire resume, the whole embodiment of it. Yeah. And it depends on your audience. Like how I write for Wall Street is really different than how I write for Silicon Valley. Someone in manufacturing (laughs) is different than someone in advertising. And know your audience. Yes. They're gonna, you have to keep that in mind. Always think of the target audience. I love that. 
So one thing I want to leave listeners with is the concept of going beyond the resume. This is something that you and I talked about in our last conversation. Your resume is such a critical tool, but it has to go beyond that if you want to go and land your dream job. So if not just resumes, Virginia, what else do I need for a successful job search? Yeah, it's the resume is one piece of the puzzle. I just interviewed a guy on my podcast and he said it was for college kids. And he's like, you don't hold a beer with one finger. You use your whole hand and job search is the same way. And I thought that was so appropriate, right? So the resume is one of the fingers. The other one is are you want to start with what is my job search target? Then you reverse engineer and you want to figure out what are kinds of companies that are hiring for those sorts of roles. So having doing research for that, then you reverse engineer and figure out who you know and who you need to know at those companies. So that's where your networking and outreach come into play. And then you have to be able to interview well and be prepared to negotiate should you get an offer. So those are the main components. There's lots of places where things can go awry. So um, lots of places where things can get bottlenecked, but outreach, networking, a lot of research, those are the pieces that are most important to make sure your resume can be a powerful tool. Yeah, that gets read in the first place. You know, it's not a good technique, I think, to just have this generic resume and just to submit it online. And I'm not also going to completely lie and say that people aren't getting success by, you know, putting the resume on one of these job boards and just attracting recruiters and hiring managers, especially in if you have a very, you know, attractive position you're applying for or your skills are high in demand. But you also have to ask yourself, like, what types of companies do I want to attract? And, you know, if you have high standards, I really recommend diversifying your job search to just beyond the job boards and networking, getting yourself out there. Absolutely. It's you're competing against the masses when you apply online and that can work, but it might take longer. And I would much rather spend 80% of my time on networking and outreach and just maybe the remainder on applying online than the reverse. It might feel like a lot more work, but I sort of liken it to like a Disney World Fast Pass. It really does help you to get to the front of the pack with a lot of these job searches. I love it. So I'm going to ask my famous tattoo question in just a second here. But before I ask that, how can people get in touch with you and tell us more about the jobsearchjourney.com? Yeah. So my company is virginiafrancoresumes.com. Not a very creative name, but uh, I had to come up with a name on the fly for my accountant (laughs) years ago. Jobsearchjourney.com is, I co-founded it with two experts in the career industry, Sarah Johnson and Adrian Tom. And it is a marketplace, sort of an Amazon for job search, where we have DIY resources that are high quality from people that work one-on-one, people like you and me. We've priced it affordi- uh, really affordably. We mm-hmm. want to level the playing field. Not everyone can work one-on-one with people. And we want an option for whatever you need. It's got resume templates, interview scripts, negotiation scripts, a little bit of everything to help with the different areas where your job search might get bottlenecked. I love it. It's a nice sleek website. So thanks for applying that modernizing concept to your website. It looks great. And I'll make sure to leave that in the description of this podcast, as well as Virginia's LinkedIn profile. You should all be following her on LinkedIn if you're a job seeker right now. It is excellent. So Virginia, you've been an excellent guest. Thank you so much for joining us on this podcast. Good questions. Thank you so much. (laughs) And my last question to you is if you could tattoo one encouraging message for every career warrior applying for a job right now, what message would that be? 
Oh my gosh, I'm so afraid of pain. Um, that's why I'm anti-tattoo. Two of my kids got one, my husband got one, but I'm afraid of pain. Oh, you're the only one. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, no, nothing. Yeah, yeah. My message, don't give up. Have people around you and be clear on what you want to do. Maybe the lamest mm. tattoo ever, but that reminds me of dots or takeaways. So. You got to remind yourself. That's why I like that, that message. It's like, you got to remind yourself not to give up. Yeah. Maybe put it in Sharpie on your skin so you don't hurt yourself instead. <laughs> I don't think like henna tattoos or those temporary tattoos, you can there get you so go. precise. So I mean, <laughs> yeah, something like that. But that's awesome. Virginia, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Thank you. It was such a pleasure. Yeah. And like I said, I've been following you for quite some time. So it's great to have you to share your insights in this really close and intimate format and have all these listeners gain your insights. So thank you for joining us. And I hope to stay in touch. Thank you. I'm a huge fan of your podcast. Thank you. Perfect. Well, listeners, this wraps up episode 272 of the Career Warrior podcast. Of course, you can share this episode by going to LinkedIn and posting it and tagging both Virginia and myself. You can leave a review by heading on over to Apple and leaving me the review. I read all of the reviews and it means a lot to me. All right, Warriors, this wraps up episode 272. Can't wait to see you next time. The Career Warrior Podcast. And before you go, remember, if you're not seeing the results you want in your job search, our highly trained team of professional resume writers here at Let's Eat Grandma can help. Head on over to letseatgrandma.com forward slash podcast to get a free resume critique and $70 off any one of our resume writing packages. We talk all the time on the show about the importance of being targeted in your job search. And with our unique writing process and focus on individual attention, you'll get a resume, cover letter, and LinkedIn profile that are highly customized and tailored to your goals to help you get hired faster. Again, head on over to letseatgrandma.com forward slash podcast. Thanks, and I'll see you next time.